welcome to the next episode of Let's Talk PND. My name is Talia and each episode I aim to bring you heartfelt stories from parents about their journey with postnatal anxiety and depression. If you have a story you'd like to share, get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. So let's get stuck into this week's episode. Hi everyone, welcome to the next episode of Let's Talk PND. Today I am joined by Jane. Jane is a mum of a little girl, Indy, and she lives in Brisbane and is a midwife herself. I actually work with Jane. Uh, she had her bump through the public system and she's going to talk to us today about her journey with PND. So welcome, Jane. Thanks for coming on today. Hi, thanks for having me. No worries. It's um, it's so nice to talk to you. Your journey has been definitely um interesting um I guess you could say so hopefully and you've got an Instagram page yourself as well don't you covering Indy's little journey yeah I find it very therapeutic to um talk about and write out things that are happening so yeah I started a little Instagram page to talk about her journey with delayed development um and just sort of finding that I wasn't having a lot of um, luck finding information for the start of the journey, mostly just the end. So, and I guess, which is what you're doing here as well, is talking about that journey through. Yeah, it's definitely very healing talking about it rather than just trying to, you know, live in a, under a, under a rug, I suppose. <laughs> yeah. So do you want to tell us a little bit about Indy and about um, sort of your birth story and, all that information because I think that's important to know before we really dive into the PND side of things. Yeah, so we had um, we were very very lucky. I came off um, birth control and fell pregnant straight away. Had a breezy pregnancy, few little hiccups um, in there, but ultimately really easy. Um, I loved being pregnant, all those sorts of things. I um, prepped a birth preferences I don't love calling it a birth plan uh, because I think you should be prepared for all options and all outcomes um, and funnily enough the one thing that I didn't prepare for was the one thing that I think triggered my postnatal depression so um, we were induced at 36 weeks because she was measuring a little bit small um, had the induction it was fairly straightforward I had the Cook's catheter we labored with syntocinon but I just use a TENS machine. Uh, it was a very quick labour, four hours. And then the sort of from delivery onwards, that's when things started to go down from there. Yeah. And so um, what happened after Indy was born? She went to the nursery? Yeah. So I delivered um, on my knees. And I think a really big trigger for me was that when she was born, like I am extremely proud of my birth experience. I find it very very positive um but I have a big disconnection between like I was in this excruciating pain and then she was born and I didn't see her be born I was um, a bit out of control so I didn't really register that she was born and then all of a sudden she was over the, at the resuscitare and then went to nursery quite quickly after that and so there's this big disconnect between like oh I was pregnant and loving it and then I was in a lot of pain and then two weeks later when we came out of nursery oh my god now I've got a baby yeah there's a really big shift in those big um areas yeah and if you haven't seen your child in between birth and the nursery you sort of go over then you're like is this my child like you you don't have actually they're telling you that it is but you you don't really know yeah so, 
and you yeah. have visions of what they're going to look like through the pregnancy and she didn't look like that and so it was a big thing for us to be like oh okay this is her and now we get to know her and not what we thought she would be yeah but yeah yeah so did they um did they explain do they know uh why she was small like was she growth restricted or was she just small yeah, so she was she had IUGR, so she was intrauterine growth restricted. Um, and in the end, my placenta came back with an issue called chorionic velitis. Um, and it's so it's kind of like an inflammation uh, response to the pregnancy. And I had read something that really sort of dulled it down to say it's kind of like being allergic to your baby, really, or allergic to pregnancy. Um, so your body starts sort of building antibodies and attacking that pregnancy and it can have a few different outcomes but definitely growth restriction is one of them um, and it will happen again next pregnancy as well. So what have they talked to you about like planning for any um, more babies? What's the um, Yeah, plan? I have to be on Plaquenil and so do that a month before trying to conceive and then continue that up to 34 weeks, adding in a low-dose aspirin at about eight, nine weeks. And then it's uh, monthly ultrasounds, fortnightly ultrasounds, weekly ultrasounds as we get closer. And um, they're assuming that delivery will happen anytime from about 30 weeks onwards. Oh, okay. Really early. Yeah. I think the um, recurrence rate is something like 66 to 100%. Right. And what does the medication do? Like what have they said that that's, how is that going to help? So hopefully the Plaquenil is going to um, almost immune suppress me a little bit mm. so that my body doesn't have that immune response to the pregnancy. Yeah, right. And then during COVID and everything like that's a bit scary in terms of you being really susceptible to, um, yeah. to getting getting sick if you're immunocompressed. Yeah, they don't think it'll be too severe in that way. I think it's a low enough dose that they're not expecting too big a um, issue. But that definitely was a concern of mine, especially having a child in daycare, that, you know, am I just going to pick up every single cold or flu that she brings home? Um, so I guess we'll see. <laughs> yeah, I guess you'll see. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, how many weeks was she when you brought her home from the hospital? Or how um, old was she? So she was born at 36 weeks and we brought her home two weeks later. Okay. And um, what? how did the transition go? So, you know, you obviously when you're in, in the special care for, for weeks, you know, you get a little bit hospitalised with routines and things like that. So how was the transition from being in the routine of special care to coming home? Um, we actually loved it. So because it was COVID times, we didn't get to spend a single second together as a family until that two weeks later. So we spent the two weeks either me being in with her or my partner being in with her, but we weren't allowed in at the same time, um, which was devastating, absolutely devastating. Um, so when she came home and even when we went into like parent crafting before we came home, it was just incredible, absolutely incredible. Yeah, nice. Getting to spend that family time together. Yeah, and like ooh and ah over all her little features together rather than bringing home photos and, oh, did you see her do this cute thing? <laughs> no, like I wasn't there, but oh, she kind of looked cute. This like it was just really disconnecting. Yeah, yep, definitely. Can you, um, so on the side of P&D side of things, mm -hmm. um, can you put your finger on where you think things might have started to go a bit downhill for you? Um, I think... So with her birth, I can understand that she needed to get looked at and she needed, she probably did need to go to special care, all those sorts of things. And so I don't think there was any 
any reason in her birth per se, but the experience of it was kind of what triggered everything and particularly not being together as a family in special care. I could have coped with, um, you know, not having that skin to skin. That would have been okay. I could have been okay with her being in special care, but what really, really hurt was that we couldn't be together in special care and there was still all those rules of, um, you know, oh, you can't touch your phone, you can't take photos, blah, 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 in special care and that was really um, something weird to get used to because, you know, you want to share these moments and if you can't be together in special care and you can't take videos and you can't take photos, how are you meant to, you know, come home and pump? every three hours or sit home and bond with your baby when they're not with you and so there's a lot of things um, that probably could have been a bit better handled in that situation taking into account that it was COVID and we couldn't be in there together just those like creature comforts I guess. So in terms of um, your journey and with hospital and things like that with Jane when did uh with Indy sorry when did all that start um so we at 27 ish 28 ish weeks we were just sitting waiting around for an appointment um and I remember just sitting there being like oh I've got a wee and then I don't and then I do and then I don't I was like this is so weird and when I actually paid attention to it you know midwife brain was like meh this is nothing but when I paid attention to it, I was having tightenings every couple of minutes. Um, and then obviously things escalate from there and you end up on the CTG and rah, rah, rah. And um, turns out I had an irritable uterus. And so I think I ended up with like three presentations for that throughout the pregnancy as well. And then we noticed that she was small because you'd had an ultrasound, you know, one thing ticked into another. Um, so it was just kind of little bits here and there that were kind of not super normal but not super abnormal and it just kind of plotted along fine and we'd sort out that little issue and then the pregnancy would keep going and then we'd have a growth scan and she was small but you know we'll just follow that up and we have another bit of irritable uterus and that would subside and then we keep going and it was just okay like we just kind of plotted along um yeah. and it wasn't until 35 weeks where I had a decent um bleed at home and that's when we went in and managed to see, just so happened to see, I should say, the um, MFM consultant who was in doing a scan for another lady, but because I was a staff member, she very kindly offered to scan me. And she um, did that scan and actually later told us that she walked out of it being like, something is not right here. Mm -hmm. um, she couldn't she, she couldn't put her finger on it because measurements wise her measurements actually put Indy at about 500 grams higher than what she was she said you know she was small but it wasn't that that was the issue and your placenta looked not great but it wasn't that that was the issue and she just couldn't put her finger on it was what she was sort of saying um yeah. I guess once she was here she was like yeah actually that is what I was seeing and what my gut was telling me wasn't quite right yeah for sure it's, um, you know, the gut feeling is probably the first indication, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> to kind of then put, you know, the fear of God into us about any reduced movements, any pleading, any this, any that, you come straight back in. Yeah. And um, that's how we ended up being induced. It was because I was sort of got to, I think it was 36 weeks. And not that our movements had become reduced so much as I was just got to into bed that night and thought something isn't right. Yeah. 
Mm. And then it kind of escalated from there, heading into hospital and stuff. Yeah, and you trusted your your judgment and your gut and it was right, wasn't it? It was absolutely right. Yeah, for sure. It's really important to do that. Um, So then your PND, did it start from sort of when she was X amount of months old or was it from the beginning or when do you think it started? It was probably from the beginning in hindsight, Um, but I also could have just put that down to baby blues kind of thing. I remember calling mum on night two, you know, you're exhausted and your hormones are shifting. And I think it was really hitting me that, you know, I'm going to go home today. And I knew working there that I was going to go home that day and not with my baby and, you know, trying to breastfeed her. And uh, I remember calling mum at like 2am or something and just sobbing, absolutely sobbing. And I remember getting back up to the ward and just kind of collapsing where I was and a beautiful colleague picking me up and, was just beautiful it was so beautiful but yeah I can put that down to baby blues and then um it would kind of be little things here or there like oh you know this nurse this special care nursery stay sucks and I'm feeling really happy about it but also it could just be because it sucks and so kept sort of just plodding along and little things would happen here or there um it probably wasn't until she was a couple of months and I guess it probably built over time from when we came home, everything was great when my partner was home and then he went back to work and she was just a baby that cried from the moment she woke up to the moment she went back to sleep. She was so unsettled, so just irritable the whole time. She was loud and I could never put my finger on what it was. I just thought it was me, you know, I don't know, being a bad mum or, you know, it always comes back to that, I guess, doesn't it, <laughs> that guilty feeling. Um, and we had some investigations done. They didn't think it was allergies. They didn't think it was anything too crazy. It got put down to purple crying, um, which I don't know. <laughs> I kind of have some exhaustion those, yeah, those sort of diagnoses where it's like, I, cause I believe that they cry for a reason, you yeah. know, that's how they communicate kind of thing. And so your diagnosis like purple crying or, you know, colic and stuff, I think it can be really hard to come to terms with a diagnosis like that. And you're either someone who then goes, okay, well, great, that explains it. And I certainly was. I went, great, purple crying, that's it. That's what it is. I can deal with that because I've got someone who said it's a thing now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it wasn't until a couple months later that I started to sort of shift, I think, into what I think is the other type of person where you go, well, there's got to be more you know, you can't diagnose crying, there's got to be more. And so then around four months, um, her breastfeeding really declined rapidly and out of the blue. And I ended up seeing Bridget Ingle. And oh my God, that woman, she's... And she's a lactation consultant? Yeah, she's an international board certified lactation consultant. uh, And she's phenomenal, worth her weight in gold. I think before I'd even sat down in her room, she was like, right, so she's got this, this, and this. <laughs> and she's very to the point but very validating. Um, so she ended up diagnosing Indy with a high palate, cheek ties, lip tie, and a tongue tie. Wow. And actually sent us that day to a um, paediatric dentist to have the lip and tongue ties cut. And so it all sort of happened really fast. It was a very overwhelming day. And then things settled. Once all of that was done, we just, 
I seemed to really enjoy her a lot more. And I think it was because she wasn't crying all the time or just screaming in my face. Like there was that niceness about it, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. It's like it's really hard to enjoy your baby when all they're doing is screaming. Yeah, yeah. There's no good bits, zero good bits. And I think it's so hard these days as well. Like social media has a lot to answer for. So much. And like movies and you just, you see so many uh, pictures, captions, whatever about, you know, my beautiful baby and you still think they're beautiful. You think they're the best thing since sliced bread. But my word, I did not enjoy it. Yeah, no. I enjoy most of the first year. Yeah, I was. I remember talking to you when I was really struggling, and um, you were telling me that you're sort of only six months in, and you're only just maybe starting to enjoy it. And I think at that point, I was, I think Indy's a couple of months older than Louis, isn't he? Yeah. Isn't she? Yes. Yeah. So um, I was just sitting there thinking, oh my god, I've got like so much longer to go before things get get better um and yeah they didn't get better at six months (laughs) no and I didn't really get here either like I thought like I was coming out of it but in hindsight it probably was at least the first year um if not a little bit more than that yeah yeah um did you have any like specific triggers do you think that that caused um you know like you feeling having a bad day or was it generally just everything that you were you were dealing with um I think it was the crying yeah and that sounds so silly because you know that's how they communicate but I think when you initially start with a baby that just doesn't stop when it when you have those periods like um one really big one for me was we were in the car and my partner was there I can't even remember how old she was. We were sort of through that first six months, I think. And I knew that she was hungry. I knew that would fix it. But she was just hysterical. And in the end, I made my partner stop driving. He didn't want to. I made him stop driving, got into the back, ripped her out of her seat, and we both just sobbed and I fed her because it was so triggering to have her just crying uncontrollably and not doing something about it or even if you could do something about it, I mean, in those early days, it didn't really make a difference, but it became a really big trigger and it still is today, honestly. Yeah. And how did you cope with that when you felt triggered? Um, a lot of support around me um, and having a safe space, which was my partner and a lot of my friends as well, to just message and be like, this kid's going out on the road today. It's been day. This kid's going. <laughs> and you felt horrible for saying it, but just that avenue and that ability to just be brutal to someone who actually understands it and doesn't think that you are a terrible mom yeah. was so good. And like, I remember my partner would message back and be like, it's two hours and then I'm home. Like I will take over as soon as I get home. Or, you know, friends being like, yep, my kid is out with the trash today too. Or, you know, we're standing at the window, I'm ready to go kind of thing. And you knew that you weren't going to follow through. But those like-minded comments really, really helped to be like, I'm not a bad mum. I'm not failing at this parenting thing. I just am struggling in this moment or today 
and I have avenues and that's so important is to have those avenues of like-minded people to be able to talk to. Yeah, yeah. Did you um, seek any help with your recovery? Did you need medication? Did you go see psychologists or um, anything like that? Um, So I started to. I saw my GP and she referred me to a psychologist uh, and I did have one appointment with her. But unfortunately, her um, thoughts on it was that I should rewrite my birth story and that I should, you know, take out all the bits I didn't like and we'll just rewrite the whole thing into this magical fairy tale. And it just wasn't what I needed because I loved my birth. I was so proud. I am so proud of my birth story. I'm so proud of what I achieved. I'm so proud of getting a watermelon out of me. You know, I loved it. It didn't need to be rewritten. I just yeah. needed support on how to move forward. Um, and Sounds I was like trying to get you to forget to forget it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It was a lot of like, oh, we'll just, you know, gloss over the bits that you didn't like and we'll, you know, think of new things to add in there and think mm. of the positives and da-da-da. And that might be all someone needs, but it wasn't what I needed. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even sure what I needed, to be completely honest, probably just somewhere to talk. Um, my GP also happened to be on mat leave at the time and I think my journey would have been very different had she been there uh, because she is a very safe space for me and I probably would have disclosed a lot more to her than I did to the GP that was filling in and probably gotten a bit better support from her than I did the GP filling in. Yeah, well, she knows, I suppose, she's been through it firsthand. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Is Indy okay? Yeah, yeah, she's um, trying to join us. (laughs) And so do you want to, do you feel comfortable talking about Indy's journey and um, everything that you've been through? Because that's uh, very um, interesting and, you know, unique story, I suppose. Yeah, and it probably has contributed to the postnatal depression, I think, as well. Um, So she got diagnosed with global developmental delay and had some investigations into cerebral palsy. So that's all come back. The cerebral palsy side of things has come back that she doesn't have that at the moment. Um, Not to say that that may develop into a diagnosis, but it would be a mild one. So it's really hard to diagnose mild. And you've only just got those results recently. So, and she's over 12 months old. So that's a long long time to wait for those um, results. Yeah. Yeah, it takes a long time. So she hit all of her milestones late um bar one and so this is (laughs) I really struggle with I guess this side of things because so she was born at 36 weeks and one day and because she was born six days before 37 weeks she gets a whole extra month to reach her milestones and which is fine but what I really struggle with is the um that there's a lot of credit taken away from the hard work you're doing because they reach it in time and you want your child to be you know neurotypical and you want them to do all these amazing things but we've been in physios just for example we've been in physio weekly for almost a year now and she's over 18 months and she's not walking she's not standing independently there's I would dare say we're a little while off however if she walks one day before 19 months she's technically reached it within a normal time frame And it's just um, really 
hard to come to terms with that to be like we are ecstatic and we think that everything she's done so far is amazing and even if she does it a few months late we're like oh you're a genius you're amazing but it's that like we've worked really hard for this really really hard we have put in the hours we've put in the money we've put in the time I spend a lot, large portion of my day doing the exercises we're meant to be doing, which takes up a lot of mental space um, and emotional space. And then to have the people around you probably coming from a good place. It's all coming from a loving place. But lots of comments, oh, she'll do it in her own time or, you know, she's so close and it's a difficult pill to swallow. And I guess it just adds on to the normal stress that most parents are feeling. Like you stack on the mum guilt and the milestone guilt and all those sorts of things and it starts stacking. And so she um, at the moment crawled at, I think it was 12 and a half months, so technically because it was 13 months she reached that in a normal time, but everything else has been a couple of months late, like smiling, rolling, sitting, all of those sorts of things and obviously at the moment not walking lots of appointments, lots of paid appointments, um, and it probably impacts oh, me more than her, me more than my partner because I'm the one shouldering most of the responsibility. Yeah. But it also impacts the future. You know, we're thinking about baby number two and very irrationally in my head I'm like, what am I going to do when I've got two, like I've got a newborn and a toddler who doesn't walk and yeah. it, it, we start to be projecting that mum guilt that where you are now onto what's to come yeah did you find it difficult when you had fr- a lot of friends and other mums around you where their kids were all doing things either early or on time and your and Indy was just you know uh, you were struggling mental health wise but also Indy wasn't doing the same things did you find that hard Absolutely, absolutely. And it's so um, tricky because I'm so proud of them. Like my friends' babies are my babies. I'm so just thrilled for them. I think they are the most amazing little humans, but it's a kick in the guts to watch the kids around you do things. Um, She's so Indy's functioning at around a nine to 11 month old ish, and probably at the lower side of that at the moment. And so her 12-month-old friends are walking. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, her. she's got a beautiful friend who's a month younger than her who is the most grown-up, like probably exceeding expectations kind of toddler. And I think she's just the most incredible genius baby. It's still a difficult pill to swallow, though. And I think as much as we tell parents not to compare, um, I kind of think it's important too, which I know is not a super popular opinion, but I think how do we, there's there's a realm of normal for a reason. And if we don't compare our babies, how do we know where they're tracking or how they're tracking? And if we go, okay, so walking's, you know, normal to achieve up to 18 months. And then the advice you get is, oh, well, they'll do it in their own time or, oh, well, my baby was 20 months and they walked and they're fine. That's fantastic. But early intervention is really important. And if you're just being told, oh, well, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry, why do we help have these realms of normal if then we don't act on them or just even show them 
I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is, but a bit of validation, I guess, that, you know, we haven't reached that and that's okay. And I think that's what that's what I talk about on the Instagram page a lot is to sort of say what's going on for Indy is mild compared to a lot of people. It still sucks that my 18-month-old isn't walking and she wants to. Her brain wants to go explore. It's just not appropriate to put her down in a public place and have her crawl everywhere kind of thing. And so it's a little bit tough in that regard to sort of field those commentaries. And, I mean, commentary from outside people is normal for any new parent. You are fielding advice left, right and centre about sleep, about eating, about breastfeeding, about rah, 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 whatever else. And then to stack on that extra stuff, it just it feels really heavy sometimes. Yeah. What's she at now? How is she going? I can see her down there. <laughs> is she um, is she crawling? Is she how's she getting around? Yeah, so she crawls um, and she will she'll pull up on furniture and cruise around. And if you hold her fingers, she will race around the house. She loves that sort of thing. There's just no like independent standing. There's no independent um, desire to walk. I would say so. We do exercises from the physio where she walks from me to the couch or from the couch to me between people and she'll take four steps kind of thing and they look pretty good. They look pretty balanced, all those sorts of things. And when she does them in front of people, it's all just, oh, look, she's so close. She's so close. She'll do it soon. She's so close. She is and I can feel that she is. But we've been working at this for a year. Yeah. So it's that like. We've been working real hard at this and it's going to come and we're going to celebrate and we're going to think she's a little genius. But it's been hard work to get there and it's okay to say and to have people go, you know what, it kind of sucks what's happening or, you know what, yep, she is a little bit behind and that's okay. Yeah, so what about your your partner? How did he sort of cope with your mental health? Um, he was lovely. He was amazing support. Absolutely fantastic. Such a safe space. I don't know if he realised how bad it was. Um, and I probably didn't really let him know how bad it was. Um, he doesn't really, for himself, believe in like medications for mental health struggles. Mm -hmm. So when I would talk about it, he would sort of say, well, you know, how about we go for a walk each afternoon and let's, you know, eat healthy and we definitely should have. <laughs> but it, I don't think it was going to change things in this situation. Um, and so I've probably covered it up a little bit from him in saying that there were plenty of times he got from home from work and I was sobbing on the couch with her crying in my arms. So he definitely saw it. I just don't know if he saw how deep it ran. Yeah. Yeah. And I guess sometimes, I mean, depending on the guy, but sometimes they don't really believe in or they don't express emotion like we do as well. So, and they're also, they also then don't know how to cope with it and what to do. I do remember there were many times where I'd talk to him, to my husband about it, and he would say, I just actually had no idea what to do. You were just sitting there screaming at our child. And I just didn't, know what to do it was too too much for me yeah um, and so you know I can understand I can understand where he's coming from yeah and I think it would be very intense for them to see like this is the first time they're experiencing 
usually um, their partner be in such a state. I can understand that. And, you know, having a new baby, it's all so new. They're probably, I think from my partner's point of view, he may not have known who to comfort first, like me or the baby. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hey. Yeah, no, it's it's a different different world being a um, being a parent. It's I never really understood or really thought it was going to be like stepping into a whole new dimension. Oh. You know, it's it's just like you've got this whole new life now, and this is your life, and and you know, it just goes from zero to a hundred essentially because one day you're completely independent and everything that you do is for yourself essentially um to this baby needing every single thing from you and then you know in your particular case you you have had to wait quite a while for Indy to be independent yeah so so it's been a lot longer for you to have a little bit of freedom for yourself you know nowadays a baby you know Louis can just sort of trot around the house a bit and and I can watch tv or do something something for myself um and watch him at the same time but i can understand your frustration with it being a little bit longer for you to to have that independence so do you have fears of of having another baby in terms of you know going through all of this stuff again yeah yeah i do i actually um had an appointment with my GP today actually we're talking about next babies and stuff um I think I'll be for lack of a better word braver about it this time so I know what's coming I know the potential of what this pregnancy will hold I know what newborn life will look like um I don't think I'll be so hesitant to go be medicated next time Mm -hmm. Um, because I mean one baby is one thing I don't think I could be in the same with a toddler and a new baby. Um, and I also, it's no secret, I'm kind of hoping that Indy's old enough that she can do a little bit of the entertaining because uh, yeah. I have discovered that I'm perhaps not a baby person. I'm very much looking forward to the kid, the toddler, the running around mm-hmm. phase of things and playing nursery rhymes and rattles just aren't my oh, thing. yeah. I do remember thinking I was such a baby person and, you know, especially in our job and people would ask, why do you want to become midwife? Oh, yeah, I just love babies. I actually don't anymore. (laughs) I actually could not. I remember always saying I can't wait for him to grow up. I just can't wait for him to grow up because this shit right now, he can't do anything on his own and, um, and I would always, I would yell at him and tell him that he'd ruined my life, you know. Because that's what it felt like at the time. You know, he needed me for absolutely everything. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's tricky, isn't it? Hey, you've you've caused a bit of havoc in your work. It's such a, like, it's just uproar, really. It yeah. just uproots everything. And no matter how prepared you are for it, I don't yeah. think you really are. No, but being being prepared in my pre-baby mind was having a cot ready and a change table ready and making sure I had enough clothes and and all of that stuff. And that is not the preparations in hindsight that I needed to have. Yeah, I yeah. 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 And I think that's normal as well. Like I think, you know, people t- until you really understand what it's like I think it's normal it's just excitement you know and nesting and all of that you don't have anything else to really compare it to so I do remember recently um there was a midwife she's um 
pregnant and I remember her saying to us, you know, she's she's got the first six weeks down pat, you know, she'll be fine and things like that. And I sort of just went, oh, okay, cool. Like, you know, I remember being that type of person as well and I used to think, um, you know, because we're a midwife and we counsel women on on that first six weeks, we should know what to do because we are always the one to solve everybody else's problems. Yeah. And um, when I mentioned to her, I was like, oh, you know, this job does not prepare you for motherhood in the slightest. So just be prepared that things will be a lot different. Yeah. And she sort of said, oh, yeah, look, I know, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, okay, yeah, cool, that's okay, no problem. <laughs> um, you know, and then I guess we were all a bit naive like that at the beginning and that's normal for them to, to be naive um, because yeah. we all were. Um, but I just... I just think the we don't prepare women enough for the fourth trimester. Yeah. Um, and it's just the expectations that we have that we of what we think it's going to be like, and whether that's because of social media or because of, um, you know, that it's not talked about enough, the type of education that we do for women, that sort of thing. Our expectations are not as they should be. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah. And I think, um, it's so funny because we talk about like unsolicited advice and it doesn't matter like if you're trying to be really truthful with someone or you're trying to you know gloss over it it's still unsolicited and so yeah. you can't even have that conversation of like right babe do you want to sit down and like really talk about what it's going to be like because yeah. it's unsolicited advice so you kind of stuck yeah. around and around in circles being like okay I'm well intentioned you know talking to you about this but it may not be received like that. Yeah, and you also don't want to scare them. You don't yeah. want to scare them too much, you know, yeah. and then they have anxiety and they they panic through the whole process because that's not the intention. It's just to, to have a more realistic idea. Yeah, and knowing things, like I know things now that I just weren't even in the realm of what I would know as a midwife. And I think very similar to you, like we, um, not that we had, you know, sleep issues per se, but the possums approach really helped me. I didn't do the full course, but like kind of read about what their philosophy was. And just that letting go of having structured sleep times changed my world. You know, I could leave the house and if she napped, she napped. If not, you know, she didn't. That wasn't on me. Oh, it was yep. so freeing. But women don't know about that. Yeah, and, that's exactly right. You know, and I think... Um, there's a lot of different ways to parent, of course. I think you have to find your style. And I don't think you know that when you're pregnant or pre-babies. No. And so it's always, it's just such a rough transition. Whether you, you know, rock it or whether you struggle with it, I think you still, that transition still a lot. And you've got hormones that play a huge part in it. So everyone's going to handle it differently because you've got, um, you know, people, have, you're not all going to have the same amount of hormone or the same imbalance or whatever it might be. Mm. It's going to be different for everybody. Yeah, absolutely. Those hormones. <laughs> got to love them. I know. And your outside influences, like it's just yep. hitting you from all angles, right? It's such a vulnerable time. Yep, for sure. If you could tell your pre-baby self something, what do you think it might be? Um. Probably just to trust myself. 
I definitely trusted myself in pregnancy because that's what I knew. Um, and I was very confident in my abilities and my skills through pregnancy and labour. But when it came to parenting, um, I've had so many... Con- I don't talk to my mum about sleep anymore because we have lots of conversations or we had lots of conversations about it and about yes. how, you know, I would have been sleeping through by now and I would have done something about it by now. And I just... I don't have an issue with being up a couple of times a night. I My beliefs around sleep are very different to hers. And so being confident in those sorts of decisions to be like, all right, here's our boundary. You know, we talk about it this time, maybe we talk about it a couple of times, but setting in that boundary, okay, well, this conversation is not changing every time we talk about it. And that's that's my boundary. We're no longer talking about it. And setting them far earlier than I have and then expecting that either that person then falls into line and supports me yeah. or we just don't talk about it. And either way is fine. But having that boundary with yourself, you've made that decision for a reason, you have researched, you've looked into it, you've done what you're comfortable with to come to that decision, own it. You've done the right thing for you, own it. Yes, those boundaries. Yeah, yeah. I had a friend, um, we're not friends anymore, unfortunately, because of this, almost this exact situation, but... Mm -hmm. Um, you know, she sleep, sleep trained both her babies and um, and obviously I tried and didn't and failed and he's not sleep trained. Um, but there was that discrepancy between what she thought was the right thing to do mm-hmm. um, compared to what I thought was the right thing to do. And so we, we couldn't talk about sleep side of things together because we had such big differences in what we had, what expectations were. Yeah. Um, and things like that so we yeah it was it was tricky and unfortunately one of the reasons we lost a friendship over it but yeah it would be um we just had different ideas on on how to parent and that's okay that's absolutely fine but don't drill those into other people you do how you do you and I'll do me and we'll we'll keep that you know separate so yeah. yes very interesting it's so and friendships are so hard and it's different to family members to navigate those I think like yeah a lot of my friends we all have different thoughts on sleep and we either just don't talk about no, sleep no, no. or it's a very funny conversation because it comes up and then you can just kind of see that everybody is um contributing their little nuggets <laughs> going into detail because we all tread very carefully around it and that's fine but it is very funny that um how it all mixes and the conversations that come up and yeah yeah it's funny hey <laughs> you, you're a bit wiser with the second baby about what you should and should so. not do <laughs> I hope so. yeah it's funny isn't it um so last thing do you have any advice for other mums struggling with postnatal depression reach out yeah. just yeah. reach out if, if it's not to your gp or to your partner to a friend to a Facebook post to whatever you feel comfortable doing reach out and I promise you you are not the only one if you put some you know uh, even if it comes down to putting some little you know a meme on your Instagram story I promise you you will get people to reach out you don't have to out yourself you don't have to you know bear your soul but those little nuggets, people will reach out. You will find your people. Not everyone is against everything you believe in. You will find your people. Reach out. Yeah. 
and it's hearing other people's similarities about what they've been through and how similar it is for them that yeah. you it starts to normalize your feelings yeah. and normalize um the whole process i suppose um because you're you're sort of on your own you feel like you know the whole world's against you because why are you dealing with this why why me why me sort of thing and that's normal to have that feeling <laughs> when you go and um, talk to other people and realize that they're struggling with the same thing it just helps normalize your feelings yeah and it's um i think you'd be surprised by the people that do relate to you yeah yeah definitely that person that you least expect and they're your biggest support yeah i i was very surprised how many of our colleagues had been through it i remember someone i'm not sure if it was you or someone else posting on a mum's facebook group about um you know someone that they'd seen for their mental health and the amount of people that commented on there i was blown away um by it it was um there's a lot of people so you know it is it's normal to an ex to an extent you know like it's normal to have that sort of personal depression is a normal thing to experience um and as in they're not alone mm -hmm. in the journey but also it needs to be recognized yeah. in order for you to to get better or just to move through it and and recover essentially yes definitely yeah yeah well thank you so much for coming and chatting with me it's been lovely to hear your story and i hope everybody enjoys um listening today for this to this episode and hopefully our kids haven't interrupted too much <laughs> <laughs> thank elmo playing on the lap here so <laughs> oh, nice 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 good stuff all right um thank you again and enjoy the rest of your day Thank you, you too. Bye. Bye. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Um, if you want to follow Jane and Indy's journey, I'll pop the Instagram details down below. Um, but thank you for listening and I can't wait to bring you another episode. Bye.